0: Are you ready? Are you sitting down? The Shine On Podcast 2022. I've said before and I'll say it again, divorce affects so many people out there. The money, the property, the assets, so many high-profile divorces. The conflict, the allegations, huge legal fee and support awards, you name it. Divorce is a true team sport. Incredible insight, hot divorce stories. Shine On Podcast, Shine On Podcast. The Shine On Podcast 2022. episode 40 of the shine on podcast i'm evan shine that's right episode number 40 is here and with us for this 40th episode on the podcast is featured guest greg baron you may have seen him on oprah or late night tv with conan letterman and the tonight show or you may have read the book he co-authored which is an absolute hit and sold over four million copies he's just not that into you greg is a household name in the entertainment industry And he joins us as the Shine On Podcast featured guest for episode number 40. What you may not know about Greg is his story and journey. Life's ups and downs, life's highs and lows, his battle with addiction, and how he beat cancer two times. On today's Can't Miss episode, Greg takes us into his life personally and his life professionally. We talk about the world of comedy and how he uses his past to connect connect with people on the stage as a stand-up comedian and as a relationship and life coach. And producer Dave, before we get into my conversation with Greg Barrett, let's get into the docket, as I know you have something special planned.
1: And now, let's see what's on the docket. So Evan, keeping with our theme, thanks to our guest, of stand-up comedy, we have Scoured the comedy world and found a few clips of stand-up comics talking about the subject of divorce. Let's go right to the first clip: comedian Nick Griffin and his thoughts on divorce. All
2: right, now thank you, ma'am. It's good to be here. I'm divorced. Yeah. Nothing to be ashamed of, right? Lots of people get divorced, huh? Sure, tons of people. So many people get divorced these days that now it's the people that stay married that really seem strange. 25 years, oh my God, what happened? Don't you know you can get out of it? It's
1: embarrassing to get divorced.
2: My wife and I, we only lasted three years. Yeah. We were supposed to be together until one of us died. I never even had a
0: fever. All
1: right. So that's Nick Griffin. <laughs> he goes on a little bit there, but that's a taste of him. Tell us what you thought about that, Evan. And then I'm have some thoughts of my own as well.
0: Dave, I could have kept going. This was, this was great. <laughs> and look, it's funny because it's true. And the reality yeah. is, look, first, there's nothing to be ashamed of, right? Getting divorced mm. is not taboo. Anymore, but how about the line that you know? And again, we didn't hear it here, but but if you listen to the whole clip, Nick says his friends seem shocked, right? Because they say Nick, you seem so happy at the wedding, right? And obviously, we didn't hear it, but if you listen to the whole clip, you'll hear that line. And look, he says the wedding—that's not marriage. And I think this to me brings up where you know what's the expectation that people have when they get married, right? People think marriage is going to be this honeymoon phase. But Dave, I mean, the reality is, it's not.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of a similar gag in the film City Slickers, where Daniel Stern plays an embattled husband in apparently one of the worst marriages in America. And they're on the trail doing their dude ranch thing and... They're playing this game. What's your best day? And Daniel Stern character says, my wedding day it was the best day. I looked great. My wife looked great. My dad winked at me. It was all great. And they said, well, what was your worst day? And he said, every day since then has been a tie. And so and so, <laughs> it's, so that's one thing. It's, it's true. The the wedding, I don't want to say it has nothing to do with the marriage, but everyone's going to have fun at the wedding. Marriage is, is work. I do like what he that he's poking fun at the, the stigma of marriage, maybe having cooled... And I think that's, I've always thought that it's its a little bit of a shame that the word divorce really is a pejorative. I mean, the word itself means the breaking apart of something, which is, you know, in most cases, just it's a negative thing. And I think that's why the guest you had on the show, Evan, whose name is escaping me at the moment, but the one who came up with the term conscious decoupling. And there's a reason for that, because it, it doesn't have to have the stigma. It doesn't have to represent it's it's a the failure of a marriage is not the failure of people's lives. And that's, I think, he and Nick Griffin here is kind of turning his negative into a positive, being able to poke fun at it. So he's he's one of my new favorites.
0: No, and Dave, I love it. And I love that hot take and the guest you mentioned, Catherine Woodward Thomas. And by the way, I know you're a big movie buff, so I just need to say this. I know you quoted City Slickers, which is an all-time classic, but I just want to make sure that you're talking about the original City Slickers and not City Slickers 2 or whatever <laughs> followed Curly's last hurrah, which have to be two of the worst movies that, I've ever seen, but the, but the yes. original City Slickers was, was brilliant. So I, ju- I just want everyone listening to know that that the movie buff that producer Dave is only referenced yes. the original City Slickers.
1: For sure. Thank you for the clarification. Yes, the legend of Curly's Gold was not a cinematic <laughs> gem. It started off on the wrong foot where Jack Palance, the, the the actor who was so great in the first movie, but but perishes in the, in the first movie, Somehow comes back in the second movie because guess what? Curly's got a twin brother, of course. And it went downhill from there. Uh, we, can move, we can move on to our next comic. <laughs> Item, Item two. two. This comes from comedian Kathy Zukimoto. Let's take a listen to what she has to say about divorce. Hi, everybody. My name is Kathy Zukimoto, and I am loving life. I am a newly-divorced woman. Or as I like to say it, freshly single. And we know what that means in Los Angeles, right? Yeah. Sad, alone, and dating nobody. Actually, I'm in a pretty good relationship right now. It's in that beginning, you know, excited butterflies-in-your-stomach sort of stalker phase. These cute little games, you know, where he moves or changes his email address and I try to find him. <laughs> and I always do. So that's a little taste of Kathy, apparently coping after her divorce in strange ways. Your thoughts, Evan?
0: If I gotta say, I I love this. I, I couldn't get enough. Look, this is a must-watch, really for anyone, but specifically women going through a divorce or really starting on the journey after divorce. It's a great spot about the dating scene. And how about her comment about the restraining order and the red flag line, which she gets into in the, in her bit. But look, in all seriousness, this is about due diligence. We've talked about in prior episodes about the Tinder swindler and really the online dating world today about knowing who you're getting involved with, especially given more and more people dating online. But what an absolutely hilarious you know bit from her.
1: Yeah, there is a, a little bit of a serious note in there. We assume she's not actually a stalker, but... You know, having been you know, I was I was married for twenty three years. To to go out on the dating scene after that, you really do have to get up to speed on a few things and and I hate to say it, but don't be naive. Like, you know, you contact somebody online. We all know you mentioned Tinder Tinder swindler, people might not be everything they purport to be. So and yet, as she as she sort of jokes at, you're so you're if you're freeing yourself from a stifle Stifling divorce, you might want to like run out and meet people and you're very excited about it, but you got time. Take it slow. Next comic on the docket is Giannis (coughs) Papas. Item three. three. Here's what he has to say about divorce. I do want to get married, though, man. I want to get married. I want to get married, have kids, and then get divorced immediately. (laughs) So I can be a good father. That's the best way to raise kids. If you're not divorced and you have kids, you are doing it wrong. You are too tired and you're not an effective parent. Being a parent is exhausting. There's no days off. That's why you need to get a divorce. That's parent vacation days. That's why when I get married and have a kid, I'm getting a divorce immediately to ensure that I'm a really good father. Because I'll really pay attention and raise the shit out of my son for the week that I'm with him. Because I know next week daddy's going to the club to get to rejuvenate my parent <laughs> <laughs> All right before the censors uh, go too crazy on that one Evan, we'll talk about Giannis's strategy. I don't know if it makes sense. I mean it'd, it'd be another client for you Evan, but uh, you probably wouldn't want one this way.
0: <laughs> no, but I gotta tell you what look Dave, in many ways it, it, it brings me back to the, the kickoff episode for season two in my interview with Lyra Bazelon because we were talking about something somewhat related to this, right? When she was at work, she was focused on her career. She's got the new book out, Ambitious Like a Mother. And when she was with her kids, she was focused on her kids. She found it easier to be present when she was with her work and when she was with her kids. So I encourage everyone to listen to the whole bit. But Dave, let me ask you, did you find yourself having more time to do things on the days you didn't have your children? And then take us into what it was like when you had your children. Versus the days when you were by yourself. And you yeah, didn't have
1: them. it forces you to look yourself in the mirror. It does present. I mean, what the comic is is sort of joking at is there's a silver lining in getting divorced, and that is that you know you have to become a good parent because your parenting is going to be on display when you when you have the kids. You're the only one. It's it's no longer zone defense. You know, it's man to man. That's good. Yeah adjusting to the schedule is another thing. And, you know, like I've mentioned in prior episodes, you know, you you can be a mess when you get divorced. And so that downtime that you have might be great to explore your freedom, maybe focus on something that you uh, didn't have time to before. But I confess, those can also be pretty lonely times. So that's when I tried to be careful not to, you know, keep the bottle of bourbon too close to the couch where I was sitting, you know. <laughs> and so sure. because, because, you know, you, you, there's no one there to tell you not, you know, don't have another drink. And so I didn't mean to go dark on this all of a sudden. But those are the kind of things I had to, like, you have to, you almost have to relearn how to take care of yourself, how you're going to spend your time. But it does provide the silver lining, as I mentioned, is think about what kind of parent you really want to be. Because now... You know, you get to do that. And so hopefully it's a positive. It's not a good, re- you know, it, it, he, the cynical comic is, is wrong and that it's it's not actually a good reason to get divorced. But it is it does have an upside.
0: Dave, as, I, as I'm listening to, you know, the comedy bits and the great docket you put together and hearing people use comedy to bring some levity to obviously a very tough and difficult situation, which is divorce when you take us back into that moment that you described, right. Being by yourself and, and thinking about life and divorce and everything you went through. I mean, how important is comedy or did it play a role for you in, in your life? And you know, what are your thoughts on sort of people thinking and feeling that they're not alone and other people are going through it. And, and, and there's ways to use comedy and levity uh, to, to really get through the process.
1: Yeah. I happen to be a comedy nerd. I love comedy. I, Anytime there's a good comedian who's interviewed on a podcast, I listen because I want to hear all their stories and how they come up with the material and stuff like that. So I don't know if I'm biased or not, but each one of these that we listened to today was great. And l- less there's any like doubt as a divorce guy, I didn't take any offense. I didn't for, there wasn't even the slightest bit of instinct to, in me to say, come on, man, that's too close to home. Don't make fun of us. Probably because they're all self deprecating. They're all like, yeah, I mean, we're all in this. It, it, the the message I think you could suggest is, us, us divorce people, we're not exactly all in this together, but we're all going to be pretty god darn miserable for a while together, and we can laugh at that. and And I think you absolutely have to. I mean, I'm I don't know about you. I'm of the mentality that when there is something sad, and divorce is just that, it's a sad thing for anybody who goes through it. Some levity is. is Always welcome, and as long as you're not, I mean, nobody's making jokes about how divorced people are, are pathetic, except the people calling themselves pathetic. We're up to the program where Evan gives his thoughts on the issues of the day. This is The Shine on Spotlight, and the topic today is addiction. The Shine on Spotlight.
0: And Dave, this week, we're going to shine a spotlight on addiction. And our guest this week, Greg Barrett, gives us perspective on the role addiction can play in life, personally and professionally, in your relationship, your marriage, your career, and the impact that it has on so many people, from your spouse to your children, to the people that you work with. And we've talked about before in the podcast about the importance of support and tackling issues head-on in relationships and marriage and working with a team of professionals. And addiction is one of those things, married or not, that you should not try to go through alone. And the guest today talks about community. And what helped him? And addiction, it affects the whole family, and I see it in relation with divorce. It's a major cause in divorce, so the spotlight this week is to call attention to addiction and relationships and getting help and knowing that you don't need to go through it alone. Joining the Shine On podcast this week is our featured guest, Greg Barrett. He was a consultant to Sex in the City, a co-author of the New York Times best-selling book, He's Just Not That Into You, and was adapted into one of the cult favorites by Drew Barrymore and her production company. He's a Oprah life class teacher. He's a relationship coach. And on this week's episode of the Shine On podcast, I sit down with Greg. Greg, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on.
2: Hey, man.
0: Thank you. Greg, before we dive into everything you're doing now as a life coach and relationship coach, right. I want to start with your background in entertainment and Hollywood Tell us how you first got into the entertainment that Hollywood scene.
2: Well, I started as a comedian, which is something that, I mean, I'm, I'm doing it tonight. I've been doing it for over 31 years. That's my, that was my main gig. I, I started stand-up in San Francisco in 89. And yeah, that was it. I went to college for theater and got a theater degree and tried my luck as an actor and wasn't having much luck and got into an improv group. And I was in the improv group with a girl named Margaret Cho, who you may have heard of. Sure. And Margaret said, have you thought of doing stand-up? And I was like, why are you kicking me out of the group? And she was like, no, you should go do stand-up, dummy. And (laughs) so I gave it a shot and I loved it.
0: That's awesome. I mean, Greg, when when you take a look around at comedy, specifically stand-up right now, how has stand-up changed from when you first got into it? to to right now
2: oh wow how has it changed i mean it's a constantly evolving art form and there's lots of different ways to approach it i think if you look at some of the things that are out now like bo burnham's special jared carmichael's special hannah gadsby's special you can see a lot of different ways to approach comedy you know a lot of really creative and interesting and personal ways to approach it
0: who are some of the stand-up greats that impacted you and your approach?
2: I was really informed by my peers. I mean, I really loved Patton Oswalt and David Cross and Bob Odenkirk and Janine Garofalo and, you know, yeah, people like that. I, I guess, I, I mean, if I'm being honest, I, I, when I was a kid, I really loved Cosby.
0: Yep, yep. Where's the show tonight?
2: Uh, the show tonight is in Highland Park.
0: Now, when you look at comedy and even your material or your approach, has the, is, is, is the approach different just given whether it's the world that we're living in today in terms of political correctness, in terms of society and culture? Has there been a shift in terms of what's acceptable, comedy or, or, or not? I've never struggled with it. I've never
2: had, I've never, my comedy has never been anywhere near the line of offending people. It's not really my thing. It's all personal. So it's all about me. So there's really no, you know, I mean, have have attitudes shifted? Certainly, yeah. Are there bits that I wouldn't do anymore that maybe, you know, now would seem sexist probably, but that's from my early, early days in the nineties,
0: you know. Greg, let's take a look into, a book that you co-wrote. He's Just Not That Into You, and it's called The Breakup because it's broken, and you wrote that with your wife.
2: With my wife, yeah.
0: First, tell us what it was like working with your wife on a book.
2: It was great. We both really had an idea for writing sort of the ultimate breakup book because we both been through horrible breakups before we met each other. So we sort of had this bond and... And our story, we, we were excited to tell our own personal story of how we connected and pulled through. And uh, so it was fun. It was, a, it was, a, it was a fun. I mean, it was writing with your wife. So some days are easier than others.
0: <laughs> and Greg, you mentioned that both you and your wife had, had been through really horrible breakups that led to obviously being together and, and to wanting to put this book together and, and, and co-write it. What did you learn about your past relationships that both led you to want to put a book out there so to get the message out on what this personal journey was like for you? And also, what did you learn about yourself from the experience of writing the book?
2: I mean, the thing that sticks out to me is how deluded I was in that relationship, how my perspective, what the relationship was as opposed to what I thought it was were two different things. You know, I think a lot of times we get in relationships and we get very self-centered and we start thinking about what we're getting and what we're not getting. And we don't think about what we're giving or what we're doing and why we aren't getting what we want. And it's usually because of the way we're behaving is keeping people from giving us what they want.
0: Now were those lessons or those things that you saw at the time that you were going through the big break- breakup, or is this no, something years no. later, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, it was only in retrospect. I mean, I I've, I've talked to old girlfriends and gone back and apologized, and I've had old girlfriends call and apologize to me. That's um,
0: not something yeah. that you hear that often.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, it is. I was very the, the biggest breakup of my entire my my big you know my my biggest hardest heartbreak. That girl called me and said that was my fault, and I was like, no, I think it was mine. I mean, we were both sort of very, you know, like. We were just not in the right place to be with each other.
0: Well, and you mentioned right there, and I want to touch on it. You were not in the right place, right? And so for so many people, it might not be one person or the other person. It might be life. It might be career. It just might be circumstances as a whole. So how much of it is individual and someone not being the right fit? And how much of it is, you know what? It doesn't matter who the person is, the time and place you're at in your life relationships it's just not something that may work right now.
2: Right. Well, I <clears throat> to be honest, I was still drinking at that time. I'm a so I'm a sober guy. And so I wouldn't have been right for anybody. I wouldn't have been, you know, I wouldn't have been my best self for anybody and and certainly not capable of being in an adult relationship.
0: And Greg, you mentioned your past and drinking and you've been open about your past and, and addiction with your listeners. Tell us about your journey in terms of what life was like for you at the time when you were going through everything that you went through addiction and and drinking and then what life has been like since?
2: Well, I remember life since (laughs) like I have some clarity around the life I've been living. There's a lot. I don't remember from my, you know, from the times that I've been messed up in my life, you know, and I have relapsed with, with, with pills. I, I, And, and in those moments, I, you know, my, it's just utter chaos, you know, and my life sober, it's very simple. You know, I take care of my sobriety one day at a time. It's my main thing that I work on, you know, and then everything else sort of falls into place.
0: Those things being relationships, career, I mean, what are those?
2: Right. And it's not always perfect. It's hard, but especially as you get older, but, but I just put my faith in the universe and that things will turn out.
0: And as you look back to that time period for you, when you were going through everything that you went through, talk to us about the support that you either had or didn't have, sort of around you at that time, and then compare and contrast that to the support that, and sort of your mindset now about taking everything, you know, one day at a time.
2: Well, the support that I get comes from the community of, of the 12 step program that I am a part of. And, you know, I had, I had a large community of drinking friends and I lost a lot of those people when I got sober and it can be very lonely at the beginning of sobriety. You know, it can be very lonely because you are changing your life so dramatically. And you are, you know, if you're smart, you're not spending time around people that trigger you. Or trigger your addiction. And so you've got to build new relationships. And new friendships. And a new way of living.
0: And what's the impact of addiction on relationships? Whether it's friendships. Or marriage. Dating. What's the impact? Well, it
2: usually finds a way to destroy those things. You know, eventually, if you're much of a mess. You end up screwing up a lot of your relationships. People don't depend on you, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it, it really, I mean, it it didn't make me a mean person, but it just made me an unreliable person and also somebody whose whole identity was drinking and people, you know, the thing about entertainment is it's very communal, but people don't hire the party guy, you know, to be in their show or to work on a script or anything like that,
0: you know? What advice do you have, Greg, for people who are struggling with sobriety?
2: I mean, I only know what I did. And what I did was to get involved in AA and to go to meetings and, and build a community and get a sponsor and do all the things that they recommend. I mean, that was, that's the only thing that's ever worked for me. Trying you to right-knuckle yeah. it, trying to just do it by sheer will is very hard.
0: Is there anything that's misunderstood or some of the myths about sobriety?
2: You do it on a day-to-day basis. So you don't try and get sober for the rest of your life. You try and get sober for today. And it's done in 24-hour increments. So you try the very best that you can to stay sober today. And when people go out or relapse, it's understood that that's just a thing that can happen. You know, it's usually not intentional. I didn't you know, I didn't intend to go out. I had cancer and I got hooked on Oxycontin, which is a story that's being told too many times now and struggled to get off of it, you know, and eventually I did, but it was a real mess.
0: And Greg, is as, as you look back to that time in your life and the addiction and the substance abuse, and you mentioned, you know, the battle, you know, with, with cancer, you've overcome so much. You mentioned your show tonight and, and your career and your, your work. What has been life like for you in the time period since the, both the addiction and also in terms of the medical and, and you know, every, the battle you know, that you had with, with cancer?
2: Well, I'm certainly appreciative of my life and I'm grateful for it. And I mean, my favorite thing, I mean, the thing that I love the most is having a family and having kids and spending time with them and watching them become people, they're getting. You know, my, my daughters are seventeen and twenty, and uh, so they're they're on their way out, and and it's hard, you know, because I love them so much. I enjoy their company. I enjoy my life, and they're the biggest gift of being sober. You know,
0: when you when you interact and you mention, you know, the ages of your children, are there things? as you interact with them and spend time with them now that there's a light bulb or a moment or something that goes off that you think to yourself, had you not been on the sobriety path? Wow. This would have been, I mean, you talk about not having a memory of of sort of things in the past when you were going through addiction, but I would imagine that you're incredibly grateful for being able to spend this time with them And have this clarity and have this perspective, given the ages that they're at right now.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, unfortunately, they had to live through some of the addiction. And they got to see the side of me that I'm not very proud of. The only good thing about that is, is that it's informed them what the rigors of drug addiction are. And so they understand it. And they're both, you know, they both don't do drugs at this point. So I'm grateful for that.
0: How much of your work... And you mentioned the show tonight, and and we may ask you for a little sneak preview on tonight's show, but how much of your work is inspired by your past and everything that you've been through?
2: Oh, a lot of it. I talk a lot about my sobriety on stage. I usually open my show with it. And then I talk about my family a little bit. And I talk about growing up in my family. And I talk about, you know, then I just talk about certain things in the world. but, But for the most part, it's a personal journey.
0: Initially, was it hard for you to open up on stage, doing your bit in your routine about something so personal for you?
2: Not for me. I find, it, I find, I find it, uh, the stage to be a really safe place to be, to be honest with you. I feel always really comfortable with my audience and, and, and I don't see the point of being there and not sharing something that is helpful. Otherwise, what's the point of doing an hour of talking, you know, if they don't get some kind of positive message from it.
0: And I would imagine in many ways for you, the stage is a form of therapy. Totally. Being able to connect with audience members to share your story, hopefully make an impact on someone else's life who's hearing and listening and watching, you know, you and, and, and hearing what you have to say. I would imagine that, that, that for you, is incredibly inspirational and, and motivational.
2: Yeah. And, I and, you know, you meet people after the shows who are also sober or have gone through that or are parents or are whatever they relate to in your act. And that feels good. That's always a great connection. You know, for a while when the book was really big, you know, it would, the crowd would be all women and they'd all have books and they'd all want their book signed and they'd all want to talk about their relationships. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And they weren't as interested in my actual stand-up, but, but it was pretty weird. But now it's it's a combination of all those people.
0: As you look back on your career, and you've done a lot in entertainment and Hollywood, is there something that stands out to you today in terms of being incredibly proud of prior uh, I,
2: there's a few things. I mean, I'm really proud of my very first special that I shot called Uncool, which was uh, on Comedy Central. And, you know, I'm proud of my appearances on Oprah, especially my first one.
0: Tell us about that. What was that like sitting down with uh, with Oprah?
2: Oh, it was incredible. Well, you know, we'd written this really silly book, you know, He's Just Not That you. It was a really fun, easy read, you know, yeah. and the whole premise of it is If you're seeing a guy and he doesn't call you, he doesn't like you. The end. That's the whole book. And then I went on Oprah's show and got to tell women for an hour that their boyfriends didn't like (laughs) them.
0: What was the feedback on that?
2: It was everybody loved it, you know, because I was super positive. You know, to me, it's a kind of a relief to figure out, okay, this thing I'm in is not working. It's time to get out. You know, we, we all have those moments where we realize, wait a minute, I don't have to be doing this. I don't have to be in this thing. I can move on to something better.
0: And you shared a perspective that people may have not heard before with the book. interesting.
2: You know, I mean, at the time, it just seemed like that. I mean, obviously, and, you know, it, it goes both ways. You know, there are men who are in relationships with women that are not into them. But at the time, when we wrote the book, the publishers were like, you can't write this for both sexes. Men don't read books, so you know, just write it for women. So we wrote it for women, and I think it was the timing. It was the popularity of Sex and the City. It was the popularity of Oprah. It's where we were in the world. It just hit like a ton of bricks for some reason.
0: Yeah, no, it caught on, and I have to ask you if if you wrote a book today in 2022 about relationships or dating or or I guess if if you put out a sequel to that book. What would you include now in terms of relationships and how has the dating relationship landscape evolved since that book came out?
2: Well, I mean, for me, it's degenerated quite a bit. I mean, people don't really date. They don't really, men don't really ask women out anymore in, in the formal sense. A lot of hooking up, you know, the apps make it interesting because you're not in person. So you're dealing with people that you don't really know. It's a whole different world, you know? But to, to be honest, I, I wouldn't write the book because I'm not dating. I can help people who are dating now. But to really know what their life is like, I have to hear about it from them because I don't know what it's like to be on the apps.
0: It's a, diff- it's a different world, how people date, how people meet people. You mentioned hook up and, and, and find one another. It's a totally different world. And look, there's pros, there's cons. Some, some people say it's great. Some people say, look, the old school way of meeting someone, that connection, that in-person, you know, moment where you meet someone and, and you sit down with someone and have a coffee. That's a thing of the past.
2: Yeah, it's I mean, at the end of the day, all we're looking for is connection. And all we want is somebody who wants to listen to us and is interested in in the life we're living. And we want to be honest and we want to be honest. And and also I think people think that dating should be easier than it is. And it's always been hard, no matter what the configuration is, no matter how you're going about it. It's hard. Dating is hard. Meeting somebody is not easy. So it's, you know, it's, and, and there's lots of different people that could be right for you.
0: And I would say that only is dating a challenge, but finding someone and staying with that person, whether it's marriage and, and sort of building a life together and parenting there's it, it's in many ways, people are signing up for sort of a life of figuring, figuring it out and finding themselves and, and finding, uh, you know, their partner throughout relationships and throughout life. The work never stops.
2: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and you evolve and they evolve and your life gets different. And, you know, all kinds of things change kids and health and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's really sort of a, it's a, it, I mean, it, not to be cliche, but it is a horrible of a marathon.
0: And Greg, separate from the stand up and, and, and the comedy bit that that you have, which is fantastic. You're also a life coach and a relationship coach.
2: Yeah.
0: Tell us, is there a difference between a life coach and a relationship coach? And how did you get into it?
2: Not really. And I'm mostly a relationship coach. I Life coach is the sort of big heading over the top of it. But I, I got I got certified as a life coach. I was interested in that because I would get so many emails and so many DMs and all that kind of stuff. And I thought maybe I should a friend of mine said, maybe you ought to coach people, especially during the pandemic when there was no stand-up. Yep. And and I'm good with I'm good with people, you know. I have I have a way of getting results out of people that I work with. You know, whether it's dating or writing. I get, you know, I've had people come to me about writing. I've had people come to me who want to start podcasts. You know, I, anything that I do, I can teach. You know, anything that I've done, I can teach. I've had, co- I've, I've worked with comics on comedy.
0: What's you this know? time like been given the pandemic in terms of your work, and whether it's on the coaching side or helping people in terms of their career? This moment in time that we're in with the pandemic, what are the challenges that have presented itself?
2: Well, in terms of coaching, I mean, the challenge of coaching is just getting clients, you know, I mean, it's just a matter of finding people that want help and are willing to do it and pay for it, you know? And I think that struggle comes whether there was a pandemic or not, you know, obviously there wasn't a lot of in-person coaching. Yep.
0: Now in terms of coaching, we talked about dating and relationships, are there certain red flags for you that, whether it's working with your clients or given your past experience that stand out as sort of relationship no-nos or signs that the relationship that someone's in is not best for them or it's not working? Usually
2: I, I work with a lot of people who are going through breakups that don't believe that they're permanent you know, that they want to get back together with the person who split, broke up with them.
0: You know? What is that, denial, or is it just...
2: Denial, yeah, it's, it's everybody, you know, goes back and remembers the first good month and thinks that's what the relationship was and forgets all about the crap that happened afterwards. And I just make them say over and over, tell me what happened, tell me those stories again, and then tell me how you think this is a relationship you should be in you know, let's run it down. I think when you run it down, you see, you make sense of it. And the person has a hard time defending the choice of being back in a bad relationship.
0: How much of your coaching style is based on what you went through both in terms of
2: all my my coaching is instinctive from my own relationships.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In terms of your, your past breakups.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and my bad behavior and my inability to see that something was over and all of that.
0: What have you learned about yourself from your past breakups and relationships that you've adapted and you've grown and you've changed in terms of the current relationship and marriage that you're in?
2: I think I had a lot of preconceptions about what a relationship was supposed to be as opposed to what a relationship is. And I had a lot of rules for how I needed to be loved. And, and those rules were ridiculous.
0: Well, what were some of those some of those rules?
2: Just those needs of being, I think, worshipped and, quote unquote, respected and cherished and coddled. And it was all very childlike. You know, I almost sound like I'm looking for a mom instead of a partner.
0: When was the moment that that changed for you in terms of that? It's evolved for
2: me over my marriage. Yep. It's evolved for me. And my sobriety, you know, I do a good job of taking care of myself. So I don't need someone to take care of me, you know, but I have someone that I grow along
0: with. And Greg, you mentioned sort of your initial view or early views of relationships and marriage, but let me ask you about sort of the millennial views of marriage and relationships today. People are getting married later and later in life is the millennial view of marriage different today. The notion that until death do us part is how we define marriage, the institution of marriage. Is that now changing as you see it when you're working with millennials and, and, and what they may want out of life?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't work with that many millennials. Young people don't really seek help that much. They're trying to figure it out for themselves.
0: Is that good or is that bad?
2: <laughs> I think that's just normal. Yeah. I was the same way. I think that's normal. I think it's good that people are getting married later in life. I think that's smart. I think people tie themselves down too early and and then are unsatisfied because they haven't had this the amount of experiences that they want to have, whether it's personal or sexual or whatever. So I think it's a good thing to... to not get married until late
0: and i would imagine it's one of those things that you mentioned the experiences that people may have not had i would imagine for so many people they don't even know what those experiences necessarily are until they find themselves in unhappy marriages and relationships several years down the road where they hear about things from friends or or other people they might not know at the time
2: no it's very hard to know what you're going to miss in the future
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and Greg, as you look back on your career, and you mentioned, I mean, just an incredible career the book and, and being a consultant to Sex in the City and, and, and sitting down with Oprah. What's the lesson that you've learned in terms of your career and moving forward and doing everything that you're doing?
2: I think you got to be open to where. Your career wants to take you. I had no intention of ever writing a relationship book. You know, a girl asked me on a break from Sex and the City during a lunch break. One of the writers asked me about a relationship she was in. About seeing a guy that didn't want to have sex with her. And was that bad? And of course, I said, yes. And that's a good thing
0: you point said point, yes. I, look, it turned into, uh, turned into the book.
2: <laughs> yeah, at some point in that conversation, I said, he's just not that into you. And the girl that was the co-author of the book heard me say it. And she really latched onto it, and I didn't really think it was a big a deal. And then we brought it into the writers' room, and it made it into an episode. And then Liz said, "I think there's a book in this," and I was like, "No, no, it's not a book." And and I told my wife, and my wife was like, "Yeah, there's a book in that for sure." And and I was like, "Okay, all right, I'll I'll go that direction." You know, I really was just more interested in going and doing stand-up. And and there you go, I wrote a book, and then the book took me to Oprah and talk show and all that kind of business and 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 I but that's because I let the world I let the universe drive and I just followed where it went
0: and I know you've mentioned sort of the talk shows and and you've been on late night tv what was it like and has the the late night talk show industry has that changed over the years, it evolved. Oh, so it's
2: pretty much the same. I did Leno a few times. I did okay. Conan a bunch of times. I did Letterman once, and and they were and I did stand up on all of them, and uh, except for Conan and and Jay, I both just sat with. I think it, it's it's very much the same. You know, you've yep. got you got your hosts and your shows. There's not as much stand up on TV as there used to be in the on those shows. They're still they still do it, but not as frequently. They used to do it quite a bit.
0: Going back to the book. Have you been surprised at just the incredible success of the book? Like when you go back to that moment on the lunch break and answer that question, and then your wife giving you the green light and saying, love it. You should write the book. Looking at it in 2022, could have you ever predicted the level of success and that this book had at the time?
2: No, no way. No, it was all, It was all a fluke. It was all like, you know, it was like winning a prize. It was a gift. I was grateful. I mean, I really believed in what we were doing. And of course, I had a lot of help from my wife on on the first book. She really should be, her name should also be on the book. She really, really helped. And I just followed my heart. I just followed, you know, the. I mean, for me, I wasn't writing a book for a million girls. I was writing a book to my sister who who had dated horrible people. And was in terrible relationships, and this was me writing to her. Sort of that was the voice that I used when I would answer the letters of, like, "I love you, but you're being an idiot."
0: <laughs> and let me ask you about that because you mentioned your sister and sort of being in in what you describe as a cycle of bad relationships. Yeah. Why is it that people find themselves in that cycle, dating sort of the same person with the same personality, the same red flags over? And over and over again.
2: Because they're trying to scratch some itch that they have about themselves that they can't get at. And so they're trying to say solve the same problem over and over again. And it's a problem that they're having with themselves, selves, so their own self esteem. And so they're looking to be validated in that way. And so that comes in many different shapes, but but it 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 it, it it'll play out as the same attributes in a guy. You know, so it's you're looking for self worth, you're looking for guidance, you know, you're looking for somebody to dominate, you know, whatever it is that is your particular itch.
0: And so, do you recommend that someone, whether it's work with a relationship coach, be in therapy, work on themselves to find out that in order to have that successful relationship, to break bad habits, to break that cycle, to figure yeah. out what they, what hasn't worked in order to figure out what will work?
2: yeah, and what is it that I keep going for? what is it that keeps ha- what keeps blowing up in my face and and yes, I do I believe in therapy, I believe in coaching, I believe in whatever kind of self work that you can do, just unraveling the layers of you and figuring out who you are and who you want to be in a relationship.
0: Hey, Greg talking about relationships and, and going back to addiction and, and substance abuse and the struggle that so many people have. How important is it for someone's partner or spouse to be part of that path forward? There's a lot of shame or certain feelings that someone may have about what they're going through, but how important is it to be, to have that support from a partner, a spouse? How important was it for you?
2: Well, the way I see it, you don't really deserve any support from them and you shouldn't count on it because they could be angry with you for your behavior. And so you should let them off the hook and take care of the problem yourself and find the support in the community that you are in and, and let them off the hook. And if they choose to be supportive, then you're lucky and be grateful for that. But if they choose not to, you have to understand that because they've probably been damaged by you in some way.
0: That's incredibly powerful. And as we finish up on the Shine On podcast, tell us about what excites you when you take the stage for a set, for a routine, bringing comedy. When you look at the world today and and, and sort of the political divide and the cultural issues and the societal issues, we talked about how the stage for you in many ways is therapy. You're impacting so many people, motivating, inspiring them what's it like for you to take that stage and you know bring comedy and joy to the people who hear you
2: i mean i'm just grateful that we're all back together
0: again it's a great, great feeling you know, how uh, about that
2: <laughs> it's just uh i i missed it so much and and when i go out there i'm just so glad to see people and and give them whatever i've got you know and and also cuz i know i've been doing this for a long time i know i'm good at it and i know I know that the people are going to get it. They're always going to get a good show from me.
0: No, that's great and and, and you touched on being in person being together and being, you know, back in person with people. I think loneliness and really what that's been like for people, isolation and loneliness, yeah. I think it's it's been scary to think about just the the loss of relationships and the feeling of isolation no matter the age of of somebody over the past, you know, two and a half plus years.
2: Yeah. No, it's just great to. I mean, I've even enjoyed watching the other comics on the show because it's just nice to see a live person doing something alive.
0: No, that's true. And, and Greg, well said. Tell us where. Tell all the listeners where people could, you know, read about everything you're doing. You know, get in touch. You know, with you. Find out all the stuff that you know, you're putting interested out there
2: in the coaching. You can go to Gregory G R E G O R Y Barron B E H R E N D T dot com. That's my website. There's a coaching page there. If you want to know about my stand-up and where I am and what I'm doing, Instagram, my name on there is it's Gregor's I T S G R E G G E R S. And that's where you can find me. And those are my two places.
0: Greg it was an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you coming on the podcast.
2: Dude, I really appreciate you. Thank you.
0: Episode number 40, this was great. Greg Barrett takes us on his journey and his path to connect and help so many people by telling his story on the stage and as a relationship and life coach. Producer Dave, how great was this spot with Greg Barron?
1: Great, loved it. Loved how he tied in his comedy into the other stuff he does. Renaissance man, interesting guy.
0: Great guy. And Dave, I can't get enough of the doc. And you continue to bring your A-game. You brought it for the 40th episode of the Shine Up podcast. And as we heard from these stand-up comedians you know what's going through my head mm. that i can see you having a side hustle doing stand-up <laughs> i mean you would be great
1: you know evan the thing about airline food is it's, <laughs> it's terrible okay that's not a good start i'll work on it
0: you know what for for, for comedy like that you could do it at about 200 bucks a ticket i would be first in line right. producer Dave, thank you and thank you to all the listeners you can listen to the podcast on all major podcast platforms the shine on podcast youtube channel And Pond617, follow me on social media for the latest content. I'm Evan Shine, and I'll talk to you again real soon.